The highly anticipated FIFA World Cup 2022 will kick off on Sunday in Qatar. It carries a bit of weight as it will become the first in the Middle East to host the world's biggest football tournament. But while South Korean football fans are clearly amped up about the Premier League sensation Sonung Min's participation powering through post-surgery, not everyone is looking forward to the games. The FIFA World Cup also faces a host of criticism for human rights violation with widespread boycotts also noticeably visible. Today we zoom in on both the hopes and concerns that surround the upcoming World Cup games with sports journalist at Yonhap News Agency, Yujiho in Qatar. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jiho. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me today. Uh, it's around midnight over there and you are finishing off a 40-hour shift, I hear. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up. I, I think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Let's get started right away. The final touches to cut a World Cup must be nearing completion to welcome qualified teams from 32 different countries. What's expected to be a record-breaking number of tourists from all corners of the globe. I mean, that's that's a lot of preparation. So because you're already there, can you tell us a little bit about the ambiance? What's it like there now? Were you able to see some of the practice sessions? Yeah, so I've been here basically one day now. Uh, I landed here early uh, Thursday morning, and I got to see uh, the, the city of Doha a little bit. I went to see... Team Korea's afternoon slash evening practice, the training session uh, later in the day, and as we, my, um, as myself and I, my colleagues drove through you know, some parts of the city, you know, we saw a lot of the flags of the participating countries, uh, a lot of um, you know, footballs, uh, their structures on display across the city. Uh, I'm going to be honest, this wasn't always easy to feel that excitement in the air per se mm. uh, but you know there's parts of the cities where you you would think you know, there's going to be something happening mm. pretty soon mm. and you know when, when i landed in the airport it was basically all a world cup uh whereas you know the mascots the, the signs of the tournament uh uh you know the volunteers uh you know a lot of you know fans and journalists like myself or uh, you know, come, people coming from all over the world to to watch this event. So uh, there's a lot of excitement, I think, at the airport uh, mm. coming into the city. Maybe not as much, but uh, again, I've only been here for one day now. So um, mm. uh, with Qatar getting ready to play their first match on Sunday uh, against Ecuador, I think the excitement is only going to be building uh, from this point on. Okay, so as opposed to sort of a unified, widespread excitement, maybe there are these concentrated spots where you can at least spot some of the World Cup heat. Um, as you've said, maybe in the days ahead, it will be a little bit more obvious where the excitement lies. You know, there are actually many firsts for the Qatar World Cup, given the unique environment of the Middle Eastern country. For one, due to desert climate, it's a first winter World Cup. That gets a lot of attention. Could you maybe elaborate on some of these firsts that will be debuted in Qatar? Because that's always a headline grabber uh it, it is a prestigious global competition and a lot of excitement does surround it too right you touched up on being this the first winter world cup and uh i mean quite you know simply the world cup has never been held this part of the year uh this is in november december window this is when usually uh a lot of the club action is happening but not the world cup tournament uh but this is again the first uh edition to be held this late in the calendar year uh but uh, you know what? We would say it's a winter World Cup, but mm. uh, being out here, it's, you know, 31, 32 degrees uh, <laughs> in the afternoon. Uh, and Korean players actually have trained a couple of times in the morning hours 
the 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the players have complained. Well, I shouldn't have complained, but players have, have said things about how it was actually too hot to be training at that hour. Uh, and we're talking about 10 a.m., 11 a.m. And it's already 32, 33 sometimes. And, mm. you know, there's nothing that will make you feel like this is a winter when you're here. Uh, but when the sun goes down late in the afternoon, mm. early in the evening, it gets a little cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, with the Korean matches taking place at 4 p.m., the first couple of ones anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's just a sort of ideal playing conditions for a lot of the teams playing in their particular hours. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the other, I guess, first, uh, this is the most ex- expensive World Cup in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, per estimate, uh, Qatar is spending $200 billion on infrastructure pr- projects. Uh, that includes mm-hmm. construction of new stadiums, uh, highways, mm-hmm. hotels, you name it. You know, this is a very small country, mm-hmm. and they've had to build a lot of new uh, buildings to accommodate all those people coming in from all over the world. Right. And uh, this is also being such a small country, very compact World Cup. And they will have only eight stadiums in use compared to the usual 12 stadiums being in use in, in a typical World Cup tournament. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, it's such a small country, they couldn't really hold 12, 12 stadiums all across their, the land. So mm-hmm. I think it would allow fans to really be able to watch up to maybe three matches in a day, uh, at least two matches in a day if they really put their mind to it. Yeah. They can actually get around, watch one match in one stadium, and then get to another stadium to watch another match. Okay, so that's a silver lining. But, you know, for some of the uh, points that you've touched upon, I mean, a great deal of criticism surrounds it, too, the fact that it is so massively expensive. And the other being, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of out of schedule if you will club marathons usually take place i mean those who play for the european leagues they have to fly in sort of mid-season and that's tough for the players isn't it you know it goes both ways sure. um the one way to look at it is the players are in, in their mid-season form right so they don't necessarily have to train to ramp back up to their mm-hmm. to match their to get to the match sharpness if you will mm-hmm. uh you know typically when the World Cup is in june it's right after the end of the season in europe some of the players have, you know, finished their season. A lot of the players in Europe have finished their seasons and they have to ramp back up to their physical level. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, uh, November, December-ish, a lot of the Europe-based players have already had a few matches under their belt. Mm-hmm. So they're coming right in in pretty good form. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at players that are based in Asia, uh, Korea, for example, their season ended a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they have to actually get back to the level of, fitness and sharpness as far as playing in the matches. And, we, and we're not talking about just any matches. These are the World Cup matches. Mm-hmm. These are the biggest games for a lot of the players involved. Right. Um, so it goes, I think, both ways. Uh, there's also a bit of a risk of uh, added risk of injuries for the, for the players now because mm-hmm. some of the European teams, the European leagues, have had to really squeeze their schedule mm-hmm. to fit into the sort of the smaller window to get all the games in or to get enough games in before sending players to the World Cup. All right, the roster has been set now. So let's talk about Team South Korea, led by head coach Malamento. They aim to enter the round of 16 for the first time since the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. We're completely stepping aside the 2002 World Cup when the Tekken Warriors reached the semifinals in home ground. Can you tell us a detail about the Team Korea's 26-man uh, roster, who's in and who's out? There were some unexpected last-minute add-ons, if you will. Right. Uh, so 26-man roster is an expansion from the usual 23-man squads from previous World Cups. Uh, the FIFA has decided to allow the expansion due to uh, you know COVID-19 pandemic. So extra spots for 
you know, any illness or in case of injuries, it gives teams more sort of the wiggle room as far as managing their rosters. I wouldn't say there's any, any particular surprise with the Korean team. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the uh, usual suspects from Europe are all there, including the beloved captain, Son Heung-min. Uh, maybe one one player that might have been considered a little bit of a surprise was Lee Gang-in, based in Spain. Uh, exactly. He was not selected by the national team for about a year. Uh, he was called up in September this past, just a couple of months ago, mm. and he didn't end up playing. Mm. And he was he's still one of the most popular football players in this country, uh, in Korea. Mm. Uh, he just hasn't been getting a lot of opportunities from Bentu. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see whether the coach will maybe change his mind and uh, give Lee Gang-in a chance to play in the World Cup. Mm. Uh, any other players that we should keep our eyes peeled for on Team Korea beyond the captain? You know, I think defender Kim Min-jae is mm. arguably maybe more important to Korea than Son Heung-min, mm. uh, given the fact that Korea is going to be an underdog in probably every match they're going to play. Mm. And they're not going to, I don't think they're going to be able to outscore teams in the World mm. Cup. So it's really important for teams like Korea to defend well. And Kim Min-jae, the way he's been playing in his first year in Italy, he's already one of the best defensive players uh, in Europe, uh, in my mind. Uh, definitely one of the better defenders in Italy, period. So he's going to have a lot riding on his shoulders as the starting center back. Um, he's going to have to take care of you know, someone like Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal, mm. the last opponent for Korea in the group stage. Uh, so a lot... Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of responsibility on a 26-year-old playing his work <laughs> in his very, uh, very first World Cup. Too, I was in Italy just a few weeks ago, and I've got to say, uh, some of the Italian chefs and restaurant workers, uh, they gave me excellent service saying that you're from the land of the Kiminja, and I said... Thanks. <laughs> mm. So popularity clearly <laughs> uh, precedes uh, just his mm-hmm. abilities on the field. All right. So let's talk about uh, South Korea, who we have to face. In Group H, we're facing some of the most formidable teams, uh, two-time champions, Uruguay, one of Africa's most historic performers, Ghana, and, as you've said, the legendary Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal. Some players fight through hamstring injuries. Uh, Son Heung-min has a mask on. I, I do wonder, what are the chances mm-hmm. of the Tiger Warriors making it out of the group and into that last 16? Well, you know, I think optimistic fans would think that uh, Korea might have a fighting chance of getting out of this group. Uh, but a lot of pundits, maybe not so much. Uh, you know, I don't think people really love Korea's chances of getting out of this group. Uh, this is very... I would say deceptively tough group. You look at someone like Portugal, maybe not the contender on the same level of Brazil, Argentina, or France, but they're still very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uruguay, number 14 in the world rankings, 14 spots above uh, Korea. And they've got a really nice mix of veterans and -and up-and-coming 20-something youngsters. Mm -hmm. So that's got a very intriguing combination of those two. And then look at Ghana. They're 61 in the world rankings, Mm -hmm. way below Korea. But the Ghana team that went through the African African qualifying is not the same team that we're going to see in the World Cup because they have selected some of the uh, English-born or Spain-born players of Ghanaian descent. Mm. Um, and these are the players that are playing in big leagues in Europe, uh, England or Spain. So they're going to be uh, really big pieces coming into the, the during the Ghana team that mm. you know went through the African qualifying. So they're they're not to be... Uh, taken lightly at all. Mm. So uh, I think those three other teams who look at Korea 
and say this is one beatable team in this group. So, again, I think Korea is going to be an underdog in every every game in the group stage. So that's an uphill battle for Korea to get it, really get it, make it out of this uh, group stage. All right. Um, make a believer out of me, underdogs. Uh, the thing is, there is something beautiful about fighting for and rooting for the underdogs. And look which station I work mm-hmm. for. So you know who I'm rooting on, right? Okay. So South Koreans will be rooting for Team <laughs> Korea. That's kind of a no-brainer. But football fans wouldn't miss this chance to enjoy the performance of world uh, legends like uh, Ronaldo, as we mentioned, uh, Messi is another. The two have defined an entire generation of football. And, and that's even obvious for someone who doesn't follow football regularly like myself. Uh, but I also hear that it is likely to be their final play in the World Cup. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Is this really their swan song and also about other global star uh, star players to look out for? Right. Uh, Ronaldo and Messi, they're 37 and 35 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, I think, more than likely their last dance in the World Cup. And neither has won the World Cup yet. And uh, I think... I don't know about Portugal, but Argentina, I think this is Messi's best chance to maybe try to win this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, would, it would be a nice way to uh, to send the legend off from the World Cup stage if he does pull it off this time. Some of the other uh, big names, uh, Karim Benzema from France, he's going to turn 35 the day after the World Cup final. <laughs> France, of course, being the uh, defending champions, he comes, he comes into this tournament having won the uh, 2022 Ballon d'Or as the player of the year. Uh, Luka Modric from Croatia, who was the finalist in 2018, losing to France there. But he did win the Golden Boot as the best player of the 2018 World Cup. Also won the Ballon d'Or that same year. But you know what? He's 37 now. Uh, it's going to be 41 the next World Cup. Uh, it's going to be hard to imagine him back mm. playing in, in another World Cup after this. Uh, someone like uh, Robert Lewandowski from uh, mm. Poland, 34 years old. Uh, you know, he's got 18 goals in 19 games for uh, Barcelona. He's he's a new team, but uh, uh, he hasn't. The World Cup hasn't been too kind to him. Uh, you know, he failed to score I mean, four years ago in Russia during Poland's three group games. Uh, he's going to look to bounce back for himself and also for his country. Uh, to not to put a damper on things, but unfortunately, it's hard for us to avoid the controversy that surrounded the lead up to the FIFA World Cup 2022. Uh, yes, the football fever is very much alive, but there are also a number of controversies, namely human rights issues. Over 6,000 migrant workers are reported to have died in erecting the infrastructures for the games, while Qatari ambassador described homosexuality as damage in the mind. Uh, this was in a rather high-profile interview. It sparked a global outrage. So maybe we ought to look at this point, too. Who's boycotting the event, and how is Qatar actually taking the criticism? Right. You know, fans in Germany in particular have been calling for the boycott of the tournament. I don't think any particular country is really boycotting it, mm. but fans in some of the countries are calling for it. Uh, you know, they're saying uh, people who watch this tournament are complicit in many of the deaths that have that have happened uh, uh, in, during the construction of these stadiums. And you know, Qatar's labor minister responded earlier this week that uh, you know the conditions about the migrant workers involved in in this in the, in the war kind of they're overblown. They're they're saying a mechanism is already in place for people that are seeking compensation. And as far as you know, boycott calls from some of the politicians and human rights organizations. Uh, you know, they've followed reports of workers dying or being injured during the construction as well. But uh, uh, the Qatari government has, has been saying, uh, you know, there's no pretty much no one else who has boycotted any previous editions of the World Cup. So why are people making mm-hmm. up such a big deal out of this issue? Uh, 
And Qatar is arguing or claiming that uh, $350 million have already been handed out as compensation. So that's kind of been their defense, uh, okay. that uh, they've already you know, paid the compensation. So why is this a big issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't, I don't think any country already here is going to boycott. But right. uh, you know, fans in these, some of the countries have really uh, raised their voices about this issue. Okay, so we just want to address all the points on the table, but you're right, the World Cup is starting this weekend, and there's a lot of excitement over the games too, and I just want to make it clear to all of our listeners that there could be several moving parts. Some people can have uh, loud voices about uh, human rights violations, while others are more focused on supporting the soccer teams. Uh, maybe, maybe these conversations can happen separately too. Thank you so much, Gio, for joining us. Uh, I'm going to let you go so you can go to sleep. Finally, that is. Finally. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Speak to you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. That was uh, sports journalist uh, at Yonabi News Agency. You two joined us from Qatar. Yes, the World Cup game is happening. Uh, this Sunday is a big kickoff event. We'll keep our eyes peeled for what comes next. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.